Welcome to another episode of Scrubs and Soy Sauce. Today, I am your host, Dr. Kev, and I will be conducting an exclusive interview with the one and only Mickey Rye. I'm not a co-host of the podcast anymore? Not for this episode. Okay. This episode, we are giving you an exclusive, exclusive interview on how Mickey became a content creator. You said exclusive like four times now. So it's very exclusive. The goal of this episode is for folks out there who are interested in potentially being a content creator, but also just to get a better sense of how Mickey got to where she is today. And I think there's a lot of insightful stories. Yeah, I think in 2023, the idea of a creator or of a quote unquote influencer has changed a lot over the last couple of years. Now, a lot of people are not only content creating, but they also have a day job or a specific skill set that they are good at. And I'm very happy about the idea that we are allowing anyone and everyone to kind of be a content creator as long as you have something positive to share with other people. But the way that I got started with content creation was actually in nursing wow. school. Okay. You're just going to start without me asking the question? <laughs> you just seemed like you were sitting there, so I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were going to ask was, me something. I was giving you pause there. All okay, right, let me, let, me, let me get started. Mm-hmm. How did you get started into content creation? Where did you start? So I started in nursing school to kind of give some context when I was in middle school, I loved watching long form YouTube videos, especially makeup tutorials. And I would often pretend in front of my mirror that I was doing like a get ready with me. And I always dreamed of the idea of being a content creator. You know, when you do school projects, you kind of have different roles and things that you take on. I was always the photo editor, video editor, graphics designer. Those were things that I thoroughly enjoyed growing up. And as a content creator, those are skills that are in alignment with those goals goals. So I wanted to create content, but I think I was always very terrified and I wasn't exactly sure where to start. I was also really worried about what people would think of me. Once I went to nursing school, I felt like I had a very specific message I'd be able to share as I was learning different things in school, whether it was what's the age you start getting a pap smear or, you know, blood transfusions, whatever it might be. I was learning this information in real time and I wanted to share it with the general public in a way that made information digestible and easy to understand because I feel like a lot of health information is often very complicated, very complex. And I just wanted like a one, two sentence way to kind of understand that information. And I didn't feel like it existed at the time. So I started making long Instagram posts. This is back in the era where we did a lot of pictures. So we did a lot of photo shoots. I would take my tripod and go on campus and take pictures of me in scrubs. And the caption would be a very long educational caption. And the first photo that blew up for me was actually a picture of me in scrubs with some of my classmates. And I was explaining how clinical rotations works, how it works to work a 12 hour shift while you're still an undergrad. And I think that post got a thousand likes. Wow. How, how did that make you feel getting that one post? It was really exciting because before that, I think when I hit 100 likes, that was already a very amazing post. And that post then in comparison was more so quote unquote viral. I saw the positive impact it could have on the people around me. So I decided to keep it up. I continued to create content. I was posting 
every single day on stories. What, what was your motivation to, was it just chasing the likes or just feel like you're making content or what drove you to do those things then? I guess community above everything. I really wanted people who related to me to basically call my online friends. I don't really have that many friends in real life. I'm very introverted and my circles are very tight and it felt really special just knowing that there were people out there who cared about the same things that I cared about. You know, the more your posts kind of go viral, they also want to know a little bit more about you and your personal life and it feels like you have a personal relationship with your online friends. So did you always have a public facing Instagram or was there a point in which you changed, you know, from being the private page to the public page? Yeah, my current public page is was my private page. So I made that shift while I was in college. Like before you posted the one picture of you with your friend your nursing friends. Like that was, yeah, it was pub- public. Okay. I actually fun fact started doing Instagram initially trying to do fashion and beauty and that did not work very well at all like before nursing school or while during nursing school i got no traction from my fashion posts which makes sense because i literally wear the same outfit every day so it was very painful to go and do these photo shoots so are they still up can we still look for those posts or they might still be up okay go 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 back to what 2016 2017 yeah, 2015, 2016. Okay. OG Mickey. So another fun fact, when Mickey's initial YouTube videos, when we start, she started doing long form video, there were also other videos on your YouTube channel, were there not? No. Are you seriously exposing I, just, me right now? I'm just saying that Mickey was an OG YouTuber. OG, OG YouTuber. I hate you for bringing this there up. Are, there, the reason why Mickey is so well, so well spoken and um, such a has such a great stage presence is you have some experience like content creation is not your first rodeo of being you know out in the public right like what sort of other things did you do when you were a kid that helped you with skill set wise oh you're really trying to dig in there huh no i I think that's important Well, I did modeling and acting growing up. This was in the San Francisco Bay Area. So a lot of tech modeling and acting gigs. So I shot a commercial for Skype, for YouTube, for example. I was in a photo shoot for Apple on their website. It gave me a lot of time to learn how to move my body, how to communicate effectively, and also just learn about cameras behind the scenes and kind of the work that goes behind it. I think what Kevin is trying to dig into is the fact that I also did a lot of performances, singing, dancing at, for example, American Red Cross luncheons, where I would perform a Chinese song and an English song. I actually did that every year leading up until high school. So I think I did it seven years in a row or something insane. It was amazing that they wanted to have me back, to be honest, because I am not the best singer or the best dancer, but I tried to put on the best performance that I could. And those videos went up on a YouTube channel that was from my agency, basically, and my parents also helped run it. The funny thing is that my parents really protected me from the internet because the internet is terrifying and they're They would be the first to tear you down, no matter how good or how bad you are. There were a lot of mean comments. Even on those videos of performances? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I was not that good of a singer. So, you know, the videos are not that great. How many views are these videos getting? I don't remember, to be honest. But I remember being so self-conscious and I told my parents to take them down later on. Oh, so they're, they're not up online anymore? I don't think so. Let's move on to the next topic. 
at what point did you realize, oh my gosh, this is going to be an integral part of my life? And like, what were your thoughts on that? I guess in nursing school, I devoted almost 100% of my free time to content creation. And it was never with the intention of making money. I want to make that really clear. Like I thought it would be nice one day if I could make some money from it. But first of all, I didn't know how to make money from it. And second of all, I didn't know what people were charging or how much money could come from it. I genuinely did it because I enjoyed it and I loved video editing. So that's why I started on Instagram and then I pivoted to YouTube, long form YouTube videos and everything I filmed, I produced, I shot everything by myself. I responded to comments by myself. When I was an undergrad, I still took all of my pre-med classes, right? (laughs) talked about this before. So I was potentially still thinking about going to med school after nursing school. If you boil it down, the reason I didn't go to medical school was because I loved content creating so much. I didn't want to give it up because I was spending a lot of time doing it and having to study for the MCAT or going to medical school would take away, I would have to sacrifice some of my kind of hobby time. In terms of the different platforms, that you're on right now. Tell me what your like workflow is and like how you manage <laughs> all these different um, things. So I'd say my content is niched down into three major pillars. I would recommend for any creator to really choose ideally between two to four, but anywhere from one to five. I would say number one, healthcare content. So anything related to medicine. Number two is relationship content, anything related to you and me. And number three is AAPI related content, anything related to our Asian American identities, how we grew up, our language skills, things like that. So those are the three main pillars that I make content for. I don't have a specific formula to say, I must make X number of videos per week. However, I will say that I strive for posting at least one TikTok a day, which then starting from TikTok, that video will then get recycled to Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts. And then long form content is obviously a beast on its own. Those, I would say for the last three years, at least once a week, This year is the first year where we've kind of fallen off a little bit in order to shift our priorities and gear up for Asia trip, gear up for... This podcast? Yeah, this podcast, which has taken up a lot of our time. On to the next part. We'll talk a little bit about the finances of being a content creator, if that's okay with you, if you would like to share some of the insight about what's going on. So how do you make money from each of these platforms? Good question. So each of the platforms typically does pay pay the creator in some shape, way, or form. YouTube, I think, has been the best at paying creators. So AdSense is no secret. You basically have a revenue split with YouTube. YouTube gets paid a chunk by advertisers. YouTube will split the amount of money that they make from playing ads on your video with you. Based on your video, there's specific requirements. So it has to be brand friendly. You can't have too many curse words. Otherwise, you'll get demonetized. You can't have any profanity, nudity, anything like that will kind of disqualify your video. And then your video also needs to be at least eight minutes long if you want to put more than one ad in a video. So there's a lot of things you can kind of do to maximize your revenue. Tell me a little bit more about the surgence of short form video. It seems like you were talking about three different platforms. You mentioned the YouTube shorts. Mm-hmm. And then there's TikTok and there's Instagram Reel. Yeah. How do those differ? And kind of how as a new creator, how do you choose between one or two or three of them and kind of your thoughts about that? 
with the pandemic, people's attention span has gotten shorter and shorter. Previously, somebody might have the patience to watch a 10 minute video, but now the standard for a long form video is Mr. Beast, it's Mark Rober, it's highly produced, it's highly scripted, every single second is jam packed. So when you are not providing that, oftentimes it can be more difficult to capture attention. So instead of focusing on 10 minutes, why don't you just focus on 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, and really capturing the audience's attention. The way that all of the algorithms work is based on watch time. Why that is, is because the longer they are watching your video, the longer they are staying on the platform. So the algorithm will continue to push your videos as long as the watch time is good. When you're determining which platform you want to start on, I would personally say if you are going to do short form content, you should be definitely on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. TikTok has the best reach. YouTube, I think, has the best community. And Instagram has the best opportunity to connect with your audience on a daily basis with things like IG stories. So I think there's value in all three and you can use the same piece of content for all three. So why not? Do you post all three at the same time or is there a thought process? If it's a good piece of content, does it do well on all three platforms or? I think a super hit good video will do well no matter where it goes. But there are definitely videos that I felt like would do well on one platform and it completely flopped, but it still went super viral on a different platform. So I will say I just focus on trying to bring value to every video that I can, whether or not the numbers look good is not something in my control. Are you just looking at the number of views or are there more specific things that you can look at as from a creator side? It depends what you're looking to do with your analytics. I would say the number one most important thing you can look at is watch time. All these platforms have a graph where you can see exactly where in the video the person stopped watching your video. So maybe you'll notice that every time you do a get ready with me, when you start putting on your bronzer and talking about something else or you go on a tangent, maybe the watch time will drop off. So identifying the trends is really important. Have you noticed that things changed over the last year or two? Yeah, I feel constantly exhausted as a creator because roughly every six months I have to reinvent myself and it can be really difficult because content creation is a job where you are basically pleasing the public and when you are pleasing an algorithm that's constantly changing, it can feel really defeating when you are giving your everything to produce the best content that you can and it still flops. So it seems like you're doing quite a lot now. Is that is that the case? What is Mickey Rye's mind thinking at all times of the day? My brain never shuts off. I will say the one thing as a creator, I am so grateful because it's brought me so many opportunities, so many friends, both in real life and on the internet that I would have never had access to otherwise, but my brain can never shut off. It's a fine balance trying to decide what you wanna film and what you want to enjoy because anything that's gonna be enjoyable or pleasurable in your real life are also gonna be the same moments that you want to film and document. So figuring out that balance I think has been really difficult. I have never taken a real vacation since I have become a creator and I think it not only stresses me out but also the people around me who are also trying to enjoy this vacation. But I'm also in that age where I'm trying to just hustle and grind. I do have the scarcity mindset where maybe one day everything would disappear. So I just want to embrace it while I can while it's still here. What tools do you have to keep yourself organized? And what other people are on your team? Tell me about how you run your dynasty. 
my dynasty yeah this is feeling like an interview i feel like it should be more conversational like we should talk a little this bit this is more. an exclusive interview so we have mickey kevin kevin is tech support extraordinaire chief fun officer not hr not hr i'm hr <laughs> <laughs> if you need to submit a report you can submit it to me and we have lucky rye who is chief sleep officer chief sleeping officer my manager Brittany, who is an angel sent to me from heaven she and i got connected actually right when the pandemic started and my career would not be where it is today without her i'm so thankful and so grateful for her she is type triple a very punctual there's not a single thing that i cannot hand off to her and not sleep well at night like she's so good and so detail-oriented at everything her main role is to do brand outreach and also manage my inbox and coordinate all paid and non-paid collaborations and sponsorships so she is responsible for the inflow of income into our business if you were to look at a pie chart of how we make money as creators every creator is so different and it's always so interesting hearing from other people but i would say i make 90 percent of my income from brand sponsorships and 10% of my income from other things, including AdSense, affiliates, and other income. So Brittany is responsible for managing and handling all of the 90%. And of course, we give her a cut of our deals. That's how the relationship works. In addition to Brittany, we have three main editors that we work with. And one of our editors also is responsible for helping us coordinate some of our day-to-day operations, helping us post some of the sponsorships when they go live. And we also have a graphic designer who actually designs all of the beautiful images that you see on the thumbnails. It's a bigger team that you expect, but it's still not a big team. It's a small team to create a lot of the stuff that we have. All right, let's talk a little bit more specifically about brand deals since you said that it encompasses almost 90% of the income and we're interested in that income. How do those work? So the way brand sponsorships work, either we reach out to the brand or they reach out to us and it goes through the negotiation phase. So we talk about exactly what deliverables they're looking for and how much they're willing to pay for that. And so deliverables can be anything like one Instagram post or two TikToks, a YouTube video, and they're usually very specific. So it'll say 60 second integration within the first five minutes of a video. And there's also the other things you need to negotiate are whitelisting. So whether or not the brand can put extra money behind your video to boost it, they typically have to pay more for that. Exclusivity. So let's say I'm promoting a skincare product. That means if they want exclusivity, then I won't be able to promote another skincare product within the next, you know, however many days they decide. And all of that factors into how much you charge a brand. And that is your rate. Once you guys agree on a rate, then you accept the brand deal. What usually happens is the brand will send you a brief. The brief will have specific talking points. So please hit point ABC. Oftentimes it'll tell you, please incorporate brand colors. So red and blues, please avoid wearing black. It will also often give you the hashtags and and themes from the campaign that you wanna include. You receive the brief, then you create the content. You send the content back to the brand. They will review it, give you feedback and notes. You will then send a second draft back to them. And if they approve that, then you will decide on a time for the content to go live. And when you set it live, then usually within 90 days, you'll get paid. But sometimes it can be up to like a year or two. 
I also want to emphasize that this process on the short end, I've done this as fast as within 24 hours and it's taken as long as there was one brand that we worked with that just the negotiation phase took 11 months. Wow. How, as a new creator, do you navigate this process? What are things I should be looking out for and to make sure that I'm doing this correctly and how do I do that? I would say, honestly, you learn by experience and learn on the job. But the number one thing is that when they ask you for your rates, instead of giving them a number, you ask them, what's your budget? So you know what kind of money they have. Then based on the money that they have, you can propose, well, for let's say $500, this is what I can offer you. That's a very good negotiating tactic. The other thing you want to make sure is to never grant a brand perpetual usage of your content. So if you've ever seen those Simu Lu stock photos float around, even to this day, it's because he gave perpetual usage of those photos. And that's something you never want to do as a creator, because let's say you gave perpetual usage for a skincare product that could potentially screw you over for a skincare brand ops for the rest of your life. How do you figure out what your rates are? If I had 20,000 subscribers, like how do you go about learning what I'm worth? You can Google a rate calculator and it'll kind of give you a gist. It usually uses a formula of engagement, your followers, and kind of comes up with a number related to that. Let's say it's a healthcare related product. As somebody with a medical license, I'm obviously going to charge more for speaking from a licensed perspective. So knowing your worth and knowing what to charge, or let's say, for example, you are super skilled in special effects and using After Effects animation. Another creator who's not skilled in that won't be able to charge the rates that you charge. So it's really what you think you're worth a lot of the times. So basically your expertise goes into your knowledge and your, I guess, your education yeah. factors into it. I think it's really important to talk to your friends who are in the, in the industry too and see what other people are charging. It gives you a good ballpark. All right, let's continue down this vein. Talk to me about some of the specific brand deals that you've received. Uh, let's talk about the most exciting ones first. The most exciting? Getting to work with the California Department of Health and the Washington De Department of Health, I think was pretty epic. Getting to help spread information about getting vaccinated, staying healthy. It's surreal to think that the government wants to work with us. Some of the campaigns, like Nay for example, is one of my favorite brands that I wear every single day. I'm literally wearing Nay under this shirt right now. But being able to work with them on a long-term basis felt really special. Oh, we recently worked with Monos, which is a luggage company. And I have been obsessed with their products for so long. Just getting to work with brands that you use and love every single day is so cool. Because in what other world would I ever be able to say like, oh, I worked with Disney or I worked with CVS. I shot a commercial for them. That's pretty mm -hmm. epic. That's very exciting. I like the Toyota one because I love Toyota. I love the Toyota one. That one was very special because I've dri driven my little Prius for... For only three years? <laughs> yes, but we had a Prius before that too. So mm -hmm. that was the second Prius in the family. Okay, let's, let's talk about the other side. What were some things that brands have done that made you give you the ick or like were not so easy to work with i think my biggest pet peeve is that i always follow the brief and the instructions to a t i dare to say that i've never messed up on the filming process because i will usually submit a concept beforehand and i film exactly what i say i'm going to film sometimes the brand will change their mind after you have already invested all of this time filming editing and scrap the entire idea that can be really hard. I remember one specific campaign we shot in 
between moving apartments and they decided to scrap parts of it and we no longer even had access to that apartment so the continuity wasn't going to be good and we were going to have to reshoot the whole thing. That campaign word for word was approved by the brand. I wrote out every single word I was going to say and they scrapped it. So sometimes things just change and you have to be ready for it. On occasion, they will include a reshoot fee, basically like a apology for wasting your time kind of situation. Um, but sometimes there isn't and you just kind of have to deal with it. On the positive end, I love when brands are incredibly responsive and on top of it. I'm all about let's get the to-do list done. Let's get the content ready to go live. Even if it's not going to go live, let's just get it all ready and queued up. So it's interesting to hear all of this from my perspective because I think I know what's going on. Like I feel like I'm an expert, but if you like remove Mickey and told me to be a content creator myself, I probably have no idea what to do. Kevin is my official offer reviewer. So anytime I get an offer for a brand deal, my manager does this beautiful email. It's my favorite email to receive, but it has offer in all caps and then a semicolon. And then it will say the brand and the price that they're paying. And Kevin is a person who goes through and reviews every single one of these offers and tells me if I should take them or not. I am the the, the first pass or the or the iron gate or something. Yeah, Kevin's a savage though. He'll be like, they should just add an extra zero at the end. I agree. <laughs> Let's move on a little bit and talk about the, f- the future and what the future may lie. Where do you see yourself, your, your, your content going? Kind of what are your goals? That's a really deep question. I think content has always been a reflection of me and who I am and what my priorities are. Obviously, as I age, my content will also shift. I think if you don't look back at your content from a couple years ago and cringe, you're probably doing something wrong because that means you're not growing. And there's nothing more important to me than staying true to myself. If I don't even enjoy watching my own content, who can I expect to enjoy watching my content, right? So I think the future has constantly shifted for me. I saw a future where it was a lot of long form content and now it's quite the polar opposite. It's a lot of emphasis on short form content and it's my bread and butter. It's what I'm good at. So I think I'm really fortunate to be in this era of short form where I'm good at that. But that's not to say that next year something new might come out and it might be something I'm totally unfamiliar with and I'm unable to kind of jump on the same way that people kind of got lost between the long form and the short form train. Do you think... You have to focus on one or the other. No, I think you can do both well, but not at the same time. You should make content specifically for long form and content specifically for short form. It's very difficult to do the exact same experience in both formats without ruining something. Let me tell you a story, okay, um, about this. Because if Mickey's on the screen, then I'm usually behind the camera. Like, So let's say we were eating at a really fancy sushi restaurant Mm -hmm. and we wanted to enjoy ourselves. But (laughs) Mickey's like trying to be organized. You're like, you go horizontal, I'll go vertical. Like, which means that like, you know, someone's filming short form by having their camera in portrait, like Vertical. vertical versus someone else having a landscape. Right. She's like, okay, then that way you're getting this kind of content and you're getting this kind of content. It's so confusing, but also like you want to be filming at the same time, right? So like sometimes I'll have a camera this way and camera this way to try to capture the moment together. And then there's like no moment at all sometimes because you forget to like press record. I also like to make sure I'm giving my viewers a different experience. I don't want them to watch the same long form video and short form content, even if the storytelling is a little different. So I think maybe that's also like a personal issue. But in terms of where I see my content going, I think 
one day I would love to have family and have kids. Wow, this is you know? getting real deep here. We we've talked about this. I don't know. It's hard to say for sure whether or not we would show our kids on camera. I think when they're like a baby, it's okay. Yeah, but, but, as but they once get when older, they have their own thoughts, it would be up to them to decide whether they want to be in the video or not. Yeah, when they have their independent thoughts, if they were to ever tell us that they don't want to be involved. We would never force them yeah. to. Regardless of how happy and wonderful and perfect you are, there's always going to be critics out there. And probably as a kid, it not necessarily yeah. you know, be in line with their mental health. I used to make content that was 100% healthcare. And I really thought for the rest of my life, I'd be creating 100% healthcare content. And now if you look at my content, it's a really good blend of who I am, our relationship, and then also healthcare content and content of us speaking Mandarin. It's just a well more holistic picture of who I am as a person. And as each part of my life takes precedence or takes a backseat, I think that's also reflected in my content real time. I like to ask at the end here for any of those inspiring content creators out there. What are a you couple- You mean aspiring? Aspiring, is aspiring, aspiring, aspiring. English. Of aspiring content creators out there. Didn't you get like full score on your critical reading SAT? You don't have to pronounce things in your SAT. Oh my. This is a very interesting interviewer. She's very R-U-D-E. R-O-O-D. R-O-R-O-D. Okay. Anyways, let's get back to business here. For any of the people that are aspiring to be content creators, what are a couple of things, a couple words of advice that you can give them? And then also, what are two things that they should avoid doing? Two positives, two negatives. I think the same way in Ratatouille, they say anyone can cook. I think that anyone can create. Whether you are a nurse or a doctor or you build tiny things or you're good at you know, swimming, whatever you're passionate about, being able to share that with the internet, I think is so special. Even if you're not good at something, share it on the internet because I bet you there are a hundred people who are also not good at that same thing. And the best time to start is yesterday. Don't let the fear of what could happen stop you from chasing and pursuing a dream that you have if it's truly something that you want. If you're scared about what people are going to think, the comments, block them. Block your family and your friends that you don't want to see your content. You can use comment filters to stop any mean comments from getting to you. There are so many ways to safely start being a creator. And you know, what's that phrase where they say, everyone's crazy until it's genius? Everyone will look down on you until suddenly one day everything will be freaking amazing. So having the courage to start, I think, is the biggest part. For two things not to do, one, don't do it for the money because as cliche as it sounds, content creation, it's not easy. And I hesitate to say that because neither is working a day job or nine to five. But what I mean when it's not easy is that you need to constantly show up and you need to perform. Your brain needs to constantly move and it never turns off. With a day job, likely you can go home and you can have your hobbies and other things. When you content create, your life is your content and your content is your life. So I don't think it's worth it if you don't genuinely enjoy every single part of the creative process, including producing, filming, editing. Another negative? Or like oh, oh, be careful who you let into your life. 
like flies or like attracted to your positivity and your energy and your success and you want to be really careful about what you're sharing with other people who you're letting in I'm not saying don't help other people you should always try to help other people but be really careful about some things that should probably be kept a little bit more private do you have a specific example of that i think i've been pretty good at protecting myself i will say my guard is up probably a lot higher i've had instances where of course you know people who never had an interest in being my friend or talking to me all of a sudden now wants to be besties because i have a platform or i have access to resources that i didn't previously have and being able to identify kind of the people who were who would be there even without your fame and your success i think is really important (laughs) People have recently been like, oh my gosh, I'm listening to your podcast. But I think mainly they just want to kind of learn about how I got to, like they're more curious than anything else, I would say. Yeah. I don't think that anyone's had like negative or clout chasing intentions from me. Social media has been 99.9% positive, but you do deal with occasional. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind rating the podcast five stars on Apple on Spotify or a thumbs up on YouTube. It would deeply mean the world to us. And we will catch you guys next week. Bye.